0: So two weeks ago, we started this journey together in a series called Some Assembly Required. And each week, I've reminded you of something that Paul wrote to uh, his protege, Timothy, uh, who is following in his steps in ministry. And he wrote this, train yourself to be godly for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things holding promise, both for this life and the life to come. And And just, you know, a reminder again, especially for those of you who are here for the first time, we all know, right, we all get that physical training is of some value. Uh, So we understand what Paul's saying, but he says what's true of our bodies is also true of our faith. In other words, the way we're saying it uh, in our faith is there is some assembly Required. So I just want to say thanks for being here today, especially if it's your first time, uh, whether in this room or online. Thanks for joining us there as well. My name is Mike. I'm the lead pastor here at MCC. And as we begin today, and I've reminded you of this the last couple of weeks, I will remind you, you know, throughout this, this, this is not about earning your salvation. Paul was very clear we cannot do that. Uh, that salvation is given to us by grace through faith. It's not anything that we do that earns our salvation. Rather, for those who have given their lives to Christ, so for those of us who are disciples who are following Jesus, what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, we'll talk about today and again next week, uh, these are habits that help us become more like Jesus. And if you've missed either of the last two, I hope you'll check those out online. But the habit this week, as Jillian said a moment ago, is prayer, and so, uh, and I agree with Jack Taylor. I put his quote in the notes or on the U version app. If you haven't downloaded that, or if you have that app, you want to open to our notes for today. Uh, this is one of those things I want you to take home, and let this sit in your mind for a bit and think about. He said, "No believer's spiritual life will rise to stay above the level of his praying." So think about that for you as an individual. Your walk with Christ will never rise above your level of your prayer life. No churches. Ultimate effectiveness will rise to stay above the level of its corporate prayer life. So, our prayer together, what God does through us, will never rise above our prayers together. And no church's corporate prayer life will be greater than the personal prayer lives of those who make up its constituency. So, we are relying on you individually so that we together can be used in a great way by God to help people. Uh, Listen, we cannot progress beyond our prayer lives. And so really the question becomes, do you believe that? I mean, is that true? Do you believe that? Listen, why, why is prayer such a fundamental part of who we are as individuals, as, as followers of Jesus, who are helping other people become followers of Jesus, uh, and, and as of us as a church as well? Why does our greeter team, you ever, and I, maybe you've never seen this happen, because it happens before most people are in the building. They meet out in the lobby before first service and they pray for those who are coming into the service. So they prayed for you this morning before you ever got here. Why uh, does a group meet up here? Again, it's before the first service. They circle around the cross, and they pray for those who will be coming into the room to worship because we know that some people are coming in at various stages of, of things going on in their lives. Why do they do that? Why, does, why do our elders, when they meet, Why do they pray for what God is doing in our midst and what he will do moving forward? Why do they do that? And why does our staff take time each week when we gather to pray what you have given us on the board? So there's four prayer boards around the room if you haven't, if we're unaware of that. And we stop each week and we come down and we pray in front of those. We just stand in front of various boards and we pray Uh, And then we pray for the uh, requests that you've given us, whether electronically or here on Sunday morning on on the cards that are in the back of the chairs. Why do we do that? Why do you pray, when you pray, what you pray? In our notes, if the church of Jesus Christ is ever to march forward victoriously, she must march forward on her knees. Do you believe that? Is that a true statement? And regardless of what we say about whether we believe it's true, the evidence is in our prayer life. Our, the way we pray, when we pray, how we pray, tells us everything we need to know about what we really believe about prayer. So, how can we? Uh, today, we want to talk about how we can use our prayer time to become more of who God wants us to be. Uh, and so, we're going to see this in an Old Testament story. Maybe a story that'll be new for many of us here. Maybe you've never heard this before. Uh, but if you have your Bibles, we're in the Old Testament, Second Kings, chapter six. Also, they'll be on the screen. Also, those verses in its entirety, this story in its entirety is on the Uversion app. And, and I'm going to tell you the whole story. We'll read the whole story. Then we're going to walk through it and talk about it. So in case you've never heard this before, I want you to get the whole thing. Here we go. Now, the king of Aram was at war with Israel. And after conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. And the man of God, well, that's Eli- you'll find out that's Elisha, one of the prophets in Israel, uh, sent word to the king of Israel. Beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going to be down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Again, talking about Elisha. And and again, uh, 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 Elisha warned the king, so he was on guard in such a place. And this enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officials and demanded of them, tell me which of us, which one of you is on the side of the king of Israel? And his soldiers responded, well, none of us, my lord, the king. It's Elisha, the prophet, who is in Israel. He tells the king of Israel the very words that you speak in your bedroom. Well, go and find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back that he is in Dothan. And then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night, surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. And he says to Elisha, oh no, my lord, what shall we do? And Elisha said, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked, and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And as the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. So God struck them with blindness, just as Elisha had asked. And Elisha told him, this is not the road, this is not the city. "'Follow me, and I will lead you to the man you're looking for.' And he led them to Samaria. And they entered the city. Uh, Elisha said, "'Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see.' And the Lord opened their eyes, and they looked, and there they were, inside Samaria. And when the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, "'Shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them?' And Elisha said, "'Don't kill them. Would you kill those that you've captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them, so that they may eat and drink, and then go back to their master.'" So the king prepared a great feast for them. And after they'd finished eating and drinking, he sent them away, and they returned to their master. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. So history lesson, quite likely at this point in history, the king of Aram was Ben-Hadad, which makes absolutely no difference uh, to us this morning. I just wanted to impress you with the fact that I, I know that. Uh, <laughs> So, we're going to back up for a moment and let's get the big picture of what's going on here. Our verses tell us that Aram is at war with Israel. Don't think major league battle, two countries battling. Think more like border skirmishes. Uh, And most likely, Israel was weaker than Aram because uh, we see in verse 13 that Elisha lived in Dothan. And verse 15 tells us that uh, the army was able to get there very quickly. And it's within 10 to 15 miles of the royal residences. So the king of, of Israel lives within 10 to 15 miles of where Elisha is, and the enemy just walks right in. That would be like saying that an enemy of the United States would be able to get within 10 to 15 miles with an army of our capital. And so verse 8, again, just a reminder, the king of Aram is plotting ambushes against the Israelites. And verse 9 tells us that God would tell Elisha, And then Elisha would tell the king. And this didn't just happen once. It just kept happening over and over and over again. And every time the king of Aram had this great new, no fail, can't miss, we're going to get him this time plan, it fails. And so he becomes irate. He suspects a spy. It appears, however, that the fact that Elisha is the one telling the king is common knowledge to his army. They don't even have to check. They just... Uh, Elisha is the one. So Benadad sent this force after the prophet to capture him, thinking that if he could eliminate Elisha's influence, uh, if he could do that, it would help him succeed against the king of Israel. So at night, they sneak in, they surround the city. I just want to make sure you get the picture of this. Strong force, big army, totally surrounded, no way out. Elisha's servant gets up early, probably making the coffee sets out the cereal bowls, he's standing by the window stretching, maybe wiping sleep from his eyes, and he sees the army has totally surrounded them. I love his his reply. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? Probably what we would say with a little bit different emphasis on certain words in that sentence. But Elisha is now awake, and he looks around, and he says, what are you worried about? Those who are with us are more than those who are against us. So be the servant for a moment. You're looking at a whole army of hostile soldiers that are surrounding the city that you're in. What do you think he was thinking about Elisha at that moment, you know, as he looks at that? So Elisha prays that his servant's eyes would be open. God did. The servant saw something he, he could never have imagined. The hills are full of chariots of horses and uh, chariots and horses of fire. It's easier for us to imagine because of CGI now in movies. But can you imagine And it was the army of God? And what happens next is even more amazing. The Aramean army comes, begins to come at them. Elisha prays that God would blind them. He does, but probably not a complete blindness. not like they can't see anything, but rather it appears that they can see some things, but not very clearly, and they they can't see other things. And, And so it's kind of confusing for them. Uh, Elisha walks up to them, tells them they're not where they think they are. I mean, they've traveled at night, they're in a strange land, and who knows what you're seeing, so let me lead you where you want to be. So he leads them 10 to 15 miles on foot, and they can't see very well. And he leads them right into the middle of Samaria, which is their enemy's uh, capital city. And then God opens their eyes. Okay, <laughs> I just wonder what the army was thinking. Whoops. Uh, I mean, talk about being in the wrong place at the wrong time. So, the king of Israel wants to do the logical thing, kill them. Elisha had him do the most unnatural thing that you would ever do to an enemy. He had him prepare a great Thanksgiving feast for them, right? And so that's how we would maybe picture this. And we're talking about real mashed potatoes, nothing out of a box, right? And we're talking about real cranberry salad, nothing out of a can, right? And then they trash talk about each other's football teams, and then they let them go home. I mean, can you imagine being one of these soldiers? Look at the last sentence. They stopped raiding Israel's territory. That's the response to the way they were treated. So what does this story have to do with us today, right, about making uh, our prayer uh, help us become more like Jesus the way God wants us to be? So I'm just going to show you some things. The first one is this. My prayer is effective at helping me become like Jesus when it reminds me of who God is. This is the servant. Verse 15, he gets up, he looks out the window, and when he looks out the window, what does he initially see? You remember? Who's outside his window? The enemy is not only outside, not just one outside his window. They're totally surrounded by the enemy. So let me ask you this question. When you get up in the morning and you look out your window, what do you see? Do you ever feel like you are completely surrounded by the enemy? And maybe you're not looking out the window. Maybe you're looking at your calendar. Maybe you're looking at the people that you have to work with or go to school with or that you're going to be spending part of your day with? Do you ever feel like you're surrounded by the enemy? Elisha in verse 17 says, O Lord, open his eyes to see, and God opened the servant's eyes to see who God really is. Not to to begin the reality of the situation that the servant finds himself in, uh, that we find ourselves in as well, to see who God really is. So I want to tell you this. The first words you should Utter in the morning, whether that's your normal prayer time or not, is just a prayer that asks God to let you see who He really is today. Let me be reminded of how big and powerful a God I really serve. By the way, that's perspective. When we ask God to help us see Him, it changes the way we see everything else that day. Do you see God as the one who is larger than you? Do you see Him as the one who has ultimate control? Because that It's what Jesus showed us, even in the prayer he taught uh, when his disciples said, teach us how to pray, not what to pray, but how to pray. And so as part of teaching them how to pray, the very first thing he teaches them is our Father who is in heaven, hallowed, holy is your name. The first aspect of our prayer ought to be recognition of who God is and who God is in our life. Just a reminder, this is your Father who loves you, who's with you, King Solomon would pray this, O O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below. It's the kind of prayer that Jillian led us in just a little bit ago, praying back to God who he has told us that he is. By the way, the reason we did some of that this morning, and some of us pray verses like that, I pray verses like that back to God uh, during the week. Do you know why that's such a big deal to do? Is it because God needs to be reminded of who he is? Is that what's going on? We're just reminding him of who he is? Or is it important that we remind ourselves, and when we're together like this, each other, of who he is? Because if we don't, we'll live our lives as if he's not. And we might begin to live our lives as if we think we're making all of this happen. And we don't really need Him except for, you know, like a last-ditch effort. As opposed to realizing that we depend on Him each day. This week, maybe sometime today, maybe already today, there will be something that confronts you, threatens you, that you know is bigger and more powerful than you. But reminding yourself of who God is, You'll realize that whatever that is and however big that thing appears to be, God is bigger and more powerful than that thing. That's when prayer begins to help you become like Jesus because, regardless of what you face, the God you serve is bigger than that thing. So, catch this too. My prayer is effective at helping me become like Jesus when it reminds me of who I am. That's verse 20, by the way. Elisha prays, and the Aramean armies eyes so now it's a different prayer right and so they're they're in Samaria they're in the enemy's capital city and their eyes are open to see the reality of we came to wage war and we've become the ones who are captured by the way that's attitude Uh, it helps you understand to think if you want your prayers to be effective uh, with God ask him to do what he already wants to do in your life ask God to do what he wants to do already Ask him to see the reality of who you are. Look at what David prayed in Psalm 26. Test me, O Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. That's what he's asking of God. In Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. So I just got to ask, is that your prayer at any point during the day? God, show me for who I am, not who I pretend to be or project uh, or want people to think of who I am. Can you say that you have asked God to open your eyes, to help you see your life exactly for what it is? And you wonder why that's important? If we don't remember our sins, we're liable to repeat them. If we don't remember that we're people who struggle with sin, we're liable to think we're all that in a cup of coffee, that we don't need Jesus. But when we remember that it's Him who helps us overcome these struggles, it humbles us, not just us as individuals, it humbles us as a church. Do we see ourselves collectively, clearly? Are we honest about who we are here at MCC when we look around the room? Do we see people who can just get by on their own? Or do we see sinners who are in need of God's strength every day? Do we as a congregation realize our need for God's strength Listen, once you have your eyes opened, that prayer is going to change you once you begin to see yourself, the way God sees the reality of our world. So, listen, we're going to stop here for a moment because uh, it's why our time of communion is so important to us. As we hold the emblems that remind us of Jesus' body that was given for us uh, and for his blood that was spilled for us, uh, that we might have our sins forgiven, this is a reality check for us. I re- you know what? It's so easy to gloss through this on a Sunday morning when we're together. It's just one more thing that we do. But when we stop and consider why we do this, it enables us to see the reality of who we are and who we can be. And the reminder that He has changed us. And although we're not perfect, thankfully we're forgiven. And it allows us to be changed. So I'll pray and then we'll do this together, okay? Father, thank you for a moment where we just get to stop. And where we get to be reminded of the reality. If we're willing to stop and remember, we're reminded of the reality of our situation. That for many of us, at one point, and for some of us still, uh, trapped in our sins and no way out. There was nothing we could do for ourselves, and we tried. We can't be good enough. We can't do enough good things, say enough good things, not say enough bad things. We just can't. We fall short. And we recognize our need for a Savior. And so we come to that moment now. Again, many of us came to that realization before today. Some of us maybe have yet to come to that realization that we need a Savior in our life because we we struggle with sin and at times we lose that battle. And so God, this moment now reminds us of that reality and also reminds us of who you are. And so we pray that as we take the emblems, Jesus, of your body and blood that were given for us on the cross to take away our sins, that we will remember who we are and whose we are. Father, thank you. And Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen. And so we take the bread that was given, that represents his body, Jesus' body that was given for us on the cross. Because we are sinful people. And we needed someone to pay a sin debt. And we couldn't. But he did. And so we remember. And the juice reminds us of his blood. doesn't just cover what's behind us it takes care of what's ahead of us as well because we still struggle and so his blood covers our sin not just behind us but before us and helps us continue to walk toward him and so we remember Father help us not take this moment lightly help us to not just pass right by it It can become so familiar that we forget the significance and the weight. And then we look right past Jesus and the gift, Jesus, that you gave us by your death on the cross. And Father, we can forget who you are, even though your word tells us over and over and over again, reminds us in different ways not just of how powerful you are, but how much you love us and walk with us and sing over us and through your spirit, give us power. So we pray during this moment that you will help us so that we don't forget. We want to tell you so that we don't forget. Thank you. Jesus, we pray this in your powerful name. Amen.
1: Would you stand and sing this with us? (laughs) When peace like it
0: Practice the first two. I said there were three. We've practiced the first two of reminding us we pray in such a way that it reminds us of who God is, and then we pray in such a way to remind ourselves of who we are, remind God that we know who we are. There's one more way that our prayer helps us become like Jesus, and you'll recognize it right away as we start talking about it. It's verse 21 in this story, though, the king of Israel had in his possession this strong force not, not just a, a small group, but a strong force of the enemy who was helpless. And he wanted to do the natural thing. When you have your enemy in your grasp, he wanted to destroy the enemy. They were defenseless. They had no escape. What do you think you would have done if you had been the king? I mean, there's got to be some, some, some sort of humiliation, right? Pie in the face or something to these guys. Maybe inflict wounds a little at a time, so they could see the pain coming. I ask you that because, listen, when we talk about the enemy, my guess is you can put a face with this. It's that person at school that you can't stand. It's that person at work, or the person in line at store, at the store, or your ex, or maybe the person you wish were your ex. Uh, Maybe it's someone you've had it in for for a long time, and maybe now we understand how the king felt, but look at what Elisha says, feed them, let them go. It's bad. Listen, for the king, it's bad enough to let them go, but feed them first. Are you kidding me? But verse 23 says, the king prepared a feast, a great feast, not just a feast, not just a meal, not a snack, not a be kind bar, gave a feast for them. By the way, that's actions it's how we respond. Uh, When God helps us see others as he does, it changes our actions. Jesus said this, and this is the message version. He says, you're familiar with the old written law, love your friend and its unwritten companion, hate your enemy. I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. Listen, when someone gives you a hard time, you respond with the energies of prayer for when you are working out of your true selves, your God-created selves. In a word, what I'm saying is grow up. You are kingdom subjects. Live like it. Live out your God-created identity. This is where our prayers recognize our need for daily guidance from God in our life. So for me, uh, I've mentioned before that I pray certain scriptures during the week. Psalm 4610 is one that I pray every morning. Uh, I repeat that. By the way, when you pray a verse every day or a passage every day, you begin to memorize that passage after a while. But I, I pray Psalm 4610 to God, say it back to Him, and then I walk through my day. I, have, I know I have my calendar in front of me, and I say I'm going to be doing this and this and this and meeting with that person and those people and talking to them about that. And I ask for his guidance in everything that I'm going to do that I can see on my calendar. And then I ask him for guidance in the things that aren't on my calendar, but by golly, he knows for sure they're going to happen. Uh, unexpected phone calls, unexpected drop-ins, unexpected this, unexpected that. And I read about a couple who'd been arguing about everything for years, and both spouses were tired of living in this just sort of perpetual conflict. And finally, the wife shared with her husband that she had been praying about their situation. She said, I've been praying that God would help us stop all this arguing by taking one of us to heaven. And when he answers my prayer, I'm moving in with my sister. Uh, And I just want to say, that's what the king wanted to do. Okay, that's the king. That is not what the prophet, that's not what the Son of God says. I believe you and I are alike in that we want to be part of being used by God to help change the world. And prayer reminds you and me both that the first step is just remember who, whose, presence, whose presence we've been invited to stand in. Who do we get to go before on a day-to-day basis? Just who is it? That doesn't just uh, tolerate us. He invites us. He welcomes us as his children. And then to ask God to continue to change me, to become like Jesus, my perspective, my attitude, my actions. E. Stanley Jones said this, prayer is surrender. Surrender to the will of God in cooperation with that will. If I throw out a boat hook from a boat and catch hold of the shore and pull... Am I pulling the shore toward me or am I pulling myself toward the shore? Prayer is not pulling God's will to me, but aligning my will to the will of God. So if you've never surrendered your will to His, and we'd love to help you with that. Just last week after the second hour, so you all had left, one of our men surrendered to Christ through His baptism. The week before that, after second service you'd already left. An older man, I think he's in his 80s, surrendered to God and was baptized into him. The week before that, a young lady came over on a Saturday morning to be baptized by her mom. I'm telling you that because God is still changing lives. This isn't something that happened. It's something that is happening, and he can change yours. As a church, we need to be asking God to see people the way he does and to use us to help change their world in eternity just like he used someone in yours and someone in mine. We didn't find it on our own. Someone helped us find him. I like this last quote. It's in the notes. Prayer is so simple. It's like quietly opening a door and slipping into the very presence of God. We devote ourselves to prayer, not so God will change the world around us, but so that he will change us and then use us to change the world around us. So I've asked Josh Harmon to come out, and he's going to lead us in that prayer. Actually, uh, Josh and Melanie will be coming out because I want to introduce you. This is his first Sunday with us. He's been with us this week, but uh, this is his first... Okay, I was going to say, are you coming or what? Uh... (laughs) Good, he was being a gentleman. Okay, and making me sweat. All right, uh, uh, Josh is joining us as our pastor of worship and discipleship here at MCC, and so we really appreciate you all being here, and, uh, and we're loving this. So I'm going to ask if you would to lead us in this prayer this morning, okay?
2: All right, let's pray together, guys. Father, we thank you for this day, this opportunity to be together. Um, God, I can only speak for myself because I've met uh, maybe like 5% of people. So I don't know everybody yet, but, um, if I feel this way, I think maybe probably more than just me do that. Um, I have to start with, if I'm looking around at the world around me and recognizing how you view people, then I first have to stop and say, God, I apologize. I ask your forgiveness for all the times that I look at someone and, um, and I don't see first that there's somebody that you've created, somebody that you love dearly, that you sent your son to die for, and that you've called me to love actively and pursue and disciple. Um, God, I don't always do that, and I figure I'm not alone. So, God, as we, not even as we leave this room, as we leave our seats today, may we look up and look around and see those around us as maybe... They're different from us in some way. Uh, They don't agree with everything that we believe. They don't see life the same way. Maybe they don't look the same as we head out of these doors and we head out. Maybe we're going to lunch or we're going to work or we're going wherever we go today. We see people. May we see them the way you see them. May we be challenged to love actively, recognizing that you love them. You want them. You're pursuing them, and you want us to help you in that, to be a part of that that calling. And so, God, um, this is it. As we get ready to leave here, we have been changed by the hearing of your word, and we're going to do our best to put it in action. God, help us, lead us, guide us as we leave here. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So
0: thanks for being here today. And I hope that uh, as we talk about these habits that we develop, that it encourages you and helps you and challenges you, stretches you so that you can become more like him. Uh, Listen, before you leave, if you have something you want us to pray about, you can put that on the walls. Uh, You can put that on the card that's in front of you. And if you put it on the card, just drop it in the black box that are by all the doors before you leave. An act of worship, if you would to have us pray together for what's on your heart. If you came ready to support financially what God is doing through us here at MCC, those black boxes are also the place where you would drop that as well. Our call this week is to help remind ourselves and each other who He is and who we are and to see the world as He does so that He can change the world to us. Let's go do it. Thanks for being here.